You are listening to the sermon audio of New Hope Community Church in Canaan, New Hampshire. For more information, visit our website at newhopecommunity.net. So for the month of November, we've been looking back to move forward. Uh, In order to do that, we've looked each Sunday at some key doctrines or teachings that the Reformation sort of renewed and brought to the forefront. Uh, so even if you don't know much about the Protestant Reformation, just kind of think their, their entire goal was to bring the church back to the scriptures. You know, make sure the church is doing what, what God has said the church should do. And so with that, I thought on the final Sunday, we're going to consider one of the teachings that's often avoided and often seen somewhat controversial. And that is the teaching of uh, the perseverance of the saints or persevering grace. In other words, uh, is it true that if you are a Christian, you will never lose your salvation? Or is it possible you can do something to lose your salvation? As well as what about people who lately with the, uh, this trend toward deconstructing your faith? If you've ever heard of this, it's where a number of quote-unquote, Christian celebrities have deconstructed their faith. Uh, in other words, they've, they've kind of reflected on it and have said now they no longer believe those things. And, and you often hear them say something like this, well, I was a Christian, but I'm not a Christian anymore. And, and now all those questions come back to, well, can you lose your salvation? Or is it true that once saved, you are always saved, And and how are we to live with that knowledge, if that is correct? Uh, So look at me at John chapter 10. And what I hope to do is answer three different questions this morning related to perseverance of the saints or persevering grace. Uh, The first one is simply, is is there a need for the doctrine of perseverance? You know, is is there really a need for this kind of teaching and, and if so, we would assume the Bible then would address that if it's a need. So that's the first question we'll look at. Is there a need for the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints? The second question would be simply, what is the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints? Yeah, I'm using a term here, and maybe you already know what that is. Uh, maybe you're not clear. Uh, maybe you've heard how it's kind of been sometimes avoided by people, especially other Christians or kind of controversial when you get on that subject. And the third question will be, how will the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints improve your spiritual health? How will the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints improve your spiritual health? Um, I'm I'm looking around, all of us are in, except with the exception of Tim, but he will get there. Uh, We're all in that age range where you know, we, we're always kind of looking at, well, how can I maybe improve my health? Well, it's a very relevant question for us to consider. If this is a spiritual teaching, and if we can define it, then how should that affect my, my walk with God? Uh, and so notice as you've looked at John 10, a couple of things to highlight here before we actually get into the passage would be the Gospel of John is the only gospel that comes with its own purpose statement. So let me read to you what the purpose statement is. It's at the very end of, or near the end of the gospel. 
In John chapter 20, verse 31, Jesus, it says this, John referring to what he's written, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So anytime you're reading John's gospel, you want to keep in mind that's the purpose of this gospel. Everything you read should be directing you to, well, do I understand what it means to believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God, and by believing in him, I have life. So keep that big purpose statement before you. Now as we look directly into the scene in John chapter 10 and verse 22 and following. Uh, anytime you're reading the Gospels, I think it's always good to ask, where is Jesus here in his public ministry? You know, is this something he's saying at the beginning of his ministry? Is this something more at the end of his ministry? So if you pick up here in John chapter 10, the scene before us is about two and a half years into Jesus's public ministry. Now that's important when you consider one of the questions that's fired at him is when are you going to tell us if you are the Messiah? When are you going to make that evident to us? So knowing Jesus has already been two and a half years in his public ministry would explain why he does not really entertain that question, but it's self-evident he has made himself known already. So that's the sequencing of where this falls in Jesus' public ministry. And you notice if you look in your Bibles, verse 21 and verse 22 are typically separated. Verse 22 has a section heading that might say something like the unbelief of the Jews. There is about a two and a half month gap between verse 21 and verse 22. So in other words, what's happened right before this is again, sort of the Pharisees, religious leaders, uh, questioning Jesus, uh, rejecting him, accusing him of being a demon possessed. Jesus stays in Jerusalem, but about two and a half months later, because it mentions winter, that then you have this next discussion. So again, that sets the tone. You have the background already of the religious leaders sort of being very aggressive, increasingly aggressive towards Christ's claims. So let's look here in the verses 22 through 24 and see if we find an answer to the first question. And that is related to, is there a need for the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints? So notice verse 22 says, Then came the feast of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple area, walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you were the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, a key time marker there, feast of dedication. Uh, this is the only time in the New Testament this feast is mentioned. Uh, all of us are familiar with this feast by a very different name. And I'll describe what the feast is, and then I think you'll be able to pick out the name. Uh, this is a feast celebrating when uh, the Jews under Judas Maccabeus uh, took back the temple after the Romans had destroyed it, had been rebuilt, but they were able to now sort of re-sanctify and rededicate the temple. 
And so this happened back in like 163 BC. So here's this Jewish holiday commemorating this event. It's sometimes called today the festival or feast of lights or Hanukkah. So that's the occasion that this is speaking of. So during that occasion, notice everyone is, is kind of thinking about um, renewal of worship, importance of the temple, uh, honoring God. So all that's kind of, again, woven in the thinking of these Jews, as Jesus now notices in Solomon's colonnade, which is basically a, sort of a columned area. It's not out in the public sort of area where often things were discussed and debated because it's gotten colder. So notice it mentions winter. You know, don't necessarily think New England winter, but, but temperatures are colder. Uh, and that explains the time lapse that has gone by. So in, in this scene, notice that the doctrine of perseverance, although not mentioned sp explicitly here, is absolutely necessary because of the danger of false assurance. Like, why, why do we need to know what it means to persevere in the faith, to, to genuinely, authentically be a Christian, and, and to be certain of that all the way to the very end of your life, till you go home and be with the Lord? Why, why is that necessary? Because we live in a world where there is false assurance. And so notice in this scene, we're talking about the Jews. So they have their temple. Herod keeps expanding it, making it bigger and bigger, more glorious on the outside. They rest in the assurance that they're Abraham's children. They, they are righteous. Why, why do they need to be baptized? They don't. Why, why do they need a savior? Well, they're, they're Abraham's children. They're righteous before God's eyes. And notice that question in verse 24. How long will you keep us in suspense? The, the question and the translation of it indicates that this was not a question of inquiry. It's not that they were eager and they were saying, we just want to know. You know, we, we, we're just kind of, we don't know. We just want to make sure we embrace what's true. Uh, this is a question that, that really is more an attack upon Jesus and what he said. Uh, in other words, when you think of this, it, it almost demonstrates they don't want clarity. They're, they're very annoyed and irritated with Jesus. Yeah, here are two and a half years in, uh, and they're saying, you know what? You haven't made this clear to us. Now, you could argue in one sense, they are correct, and Jesus has demonstrated miracles. He hasn't been specifically explicit, which he will be as you get closer to the cross. But the evidence is before them. So we suddenly realize, wow, you have a people who know the Old Testament, who have the temple, they go to church, and yet they're completely oblivious to their need for salvation. They, they rest in a false assurance. And it may be possible that when John mentions here it was winter, he's, he's not just setting the, the time context for us. It's possible that's even sort of a subtle sort of point here. Not only is it cold outside, man, it's colder in the temple. You know, they have no idea. And, and that's the scary part. They think that they are right before God. Now we're dealing with the Gospel of John written by the Apostle John. 
go to 1 John chapter 2 to see John's consistency in bringing this issue up again to, to another group of believers much later in his life and ministry. In 1 John chapter 2, we get to verses 18 and 19. And, and John writes here, as an older pastor and elder now, again, his concern about false assurance. You know, if, if, if someone is in the church and then they leave the church, were they a Christian, were they not a Christian? How, how do you know? Well, listen to what he says beginning at verse 18. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belong to us. Now, this is not saying everyone who leaves a church is, you know, rebelling against God or is the Antichrist. But you notice John's concern. Questions were being raised. You know, is someone a Christian or not a Christian? How, how do you know? And apparently for many in John's day in the church, there was some confusion about this. And I think we deal with the same thing today. There are people who, according to surveys, you know, something like 75 to 80% of Americans believe when they die, they're going to heaven. And yet, we would look at the definition of a Christian and say that's that just can't, can't be. So there's a false assurance there. And John reminds us, this is what we are increasingly to expect when he mentions the last hour, he's, he's referring to the return of Christ. As, as we get closer to that, we won't see less false assurance We'll see more. And, and just look around what we see of people. Uh, I think of sometimes celebrities who are very bold about telling you what they believe is the answer to life and where they find meaning. That, that we listen to them as a Christian and we think, how, how could someone believe this? Like it, it just seems so irrational. It, it just doesn't have any support. And yet they, they claim it and they hold on to it and they think it's true. So why is the doctrine of perseverance absolutely necessary? Well, we have the danger of false assurance. But if you go back to John chapter 10, remember as Jesus is speaking this, we can assume his disciples are right there also hearing this. So I think there's another reason why the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints is necessary. On the one hand, you have the danger of false assurance. On the other hand, you have the danger of lack assurance on the part of some believers. Like in other words, do we have people who we would say are Christians, they love the Lord, but, but they seem to always wrestle with assurance of salvation. I'll give you an example of this. It happened recently up at school. Uh, I set up like the chapel program. People come in, sometimes I speak. And, and so I had a pastor come in and I was gone that Monday, uh, and they had chapel, and then he sent me an email afterwards, kind of just follow up, everything went well, uh, you know, had a couple kids respond to wanting to um, acknowledge Christ as Lord and Savior, 
and just kind of wanted to let you know that so you can follow up on that. Um, I thought, well, that, that's really good. Uh, and then I'm looking at the, the kids that he mentioned, and I'm thinking, you know what, I've talked to most of these kids before, and with the exception of one, I was like, I'm, I'm almost certain these kids are Christians already. You know, so I, I sat down with each of them individually, just kind of say, you know, uh, you know, the chapel speaker mentioned you had, you know, done this. And what I found was four out of the five kids were already Christians, which kind of troubled me in the sense I thought, here's where a lack of knowledge of assurance was affecting them. Like, we should always want to have people acknowledge Christ as Savior and Lord. But I don't think, on the other hand, we want people who are Christians to, to be confused, or especially in, I would say, in a school setting, you have to be careful with younger students, because one does it, they, they all want to do it. Uh, you know, so notice, we, we do have a pocket, I think, of not just younger Christians, but, but sometimes older Christians, who maybe because of lack of knowledge, you know, where they, they've not really researched and studied this, you know, what does it mean to say, you, if you're once saved, always saved, what does that mean? And so there's a lack of knowledge that I think sometimes can contribute to that. I think sometimes the other thing that contribute to it, especially for older Christians, is what if you've fallen into sin? Where, where you start wondering, have I, have I gone too far? You know, have I crossed that line where, where I can't come back now? where God has said to me, you're out. And, and I think that's just as much a concern for people who are susceptible. If they genuinely have acknowledged Christ as Lord and Savior, we don't want them, nor should they, lack assurance of that. And so you notice in Jesus' words, we're, we're bluntly told this is an important doctrine. And again, not to, to go back too far into the Reformation, but one of the things that was happening was there was tremendous false assurance. And the church was kind of behind that. It was promoting it. You know, give us money and we'll give you a certificate. You can have it in writing. Your, your sins are forgiven. You don't have to fear purgatory or hell. Well, that's tempting. You can even have the paperwork to prove it. And so we see there is a necessity to this. Well, let's go back to John chapter 10. And now look at verses 26 through 29, where Jesus answers the second question. And that is, what is the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints? Because I mentioned this is often sort of an avoided and controversial one, because someone will say something like this who does not agree with this doctrine, they will say, oh, so you can just, you know, say a prayer and you're all set and you never have to worry about going to hell. Well, listen to what Jesus says in verses 26 or 29. There Jesus says, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hands. Again, li listen to those pronouns where, where in response to them saying, we're, we're tired of waiting, tell us something. 
Jesus says that the reason you don't believe is you're, you're not my sheep. And then he goes on and says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. The tense in, in each of those verbs is active, present, indicative. In other words, now we're talking about something that demonstrates itself repeatedly. So we're moving beyond just, have you ever prayed a prayer to ask Jesus into your heart? To have you been baptized? You know, do you go to church? We're moving beyond all that to say, is this genuinely being lived out in your life? And this is where Jesus will again part that very clearly when he says, you're, you're not one of my sheep. Now, I think in modern day circles, you'd have every probably current homiletical book telling you, don't say that to people. You know, try to embrace them in the gospel. But, but there's a place where you need to say there, there's a clear dividing line here. And Jesus does not hesitate at all to say that. Notice he goes on and says, I give them eternal life. And then you have this strong reminder, no one can snatch them from my hand. No one can snatch them from my father's hand. And you have a, a very interesting picture. Imagine if I were holding something in my hand tightly and I said, Tim, I want you to get this out of my hand. And theoretically, let's assume Tim can open my hand or maybe he can. Let's say he puts me in some kind of hold. I start crying and I open my hand. But then imagine I say, all right, Tim, I've got this in my hand. And then I ask Jim, Jim, wrap your two hands around my hand. And let's see if Tim can open it. I mean, think of the security that Jesus speaks of there. The security that does not belong to those who do not know him, who are not his sheep, who don't listen to his voice, who don't follow him. So all those verbs immediately sort of help us answer, well, can you just kind of say something and you've got your ticket to heaven? No, that, that's not what it means to be a Christian. That, that's step one, maybe. But where's the continuation? Remember what, what John had said in 1 John. They, they were with us, but they were not of us because they did not continue with us. And so as Jesus looks at this, I think we can put together a definition of the doctrine of perseverance of the saints. Uh, this is from a, a theologian, John Murray, who taught systematic theology for many, many years. He put it this way, uh, the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, we could define it this way. The saints are believers, those united to Christ by the effectual call of the Father and indwelt by the Holy Spirit will persevere in the faith until the end. So let me just read that again. You don't necessarily have to write it down, but, but just listen to it. The saints or believers are those united to Christ by the effectual call of the Father and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. They will persevere in the faith until the end. So in other words, if you are genuinely saved, united with Christ, then because you were saved by grace, 
you cannot lose your salvation because you never earned it. But evidence of your salvation is, as Jesus said, these sheep listen to my voice and they follow me. So in thinking of that definition, that's the Apostle John. Well, turn to Romans chapter 8. And Romans chapter 8 is filled with references to the security of the believer. And, and we'll just go through a couple of verses in Romans 8 to illustrate this. So if this week you're having an awful week, you feel very discouraged as a Christian, maybe you're even questioning, you know, I don't seem to see God working in my life. What's wrong with me? Go to Romans 8. Read the whole chapter. But let me highlight a few verses. Notice verse 1, how it opens. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That, that is a statement of the perseverance of the saints. There, there's no condemnation in Christ. Your, your sins have been paid past, present, and future in full. So that questioning our assurance, which sometimes we have as Christians, maybe, because we've fallen into sin. Well, we have an answer to that here. We have an answer in the life of David. We have an answer in the life of Peter, who were restored, forgiven. Uh, yes, they still face consequences, but, but they were forgiven of their sins. So that's how Romans 8 begins. Go down to verses 28 through 30. And you have Paul kind of giving here what's called like the order of salvation, at least a couple of major components of that. And he says, beginning in verse 28, for we know that in all things, God works for good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Those he predestined, he also called, those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So you have this, if, if God has called you by grace, has drawn you to himself in Christ, he will complete that process. It will move from justification, adoption, to persevering in the faith, and to ultimately glorification. And if we still haven't kind of gotten Paul's point, look at how chapter 8 concludes in verses 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So you have that reminder. You're not just called to salvation, declared righteous, but as we've been studying sanctification, persevering until the end in the faith. And, and there'll be peaks and valleys in that. But notice how Paul says nothing can separate, and, and notice the word he uses, nothing can separate us. Who's the us? Every believer. Not, not just apostles, not just some believers every believer. So we have one final question to answer in John 10. And the third question was and is, 
how will the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints improve your spiritual health? So Jesus is certainly correcting a false teaching, a false assurance. But it's also a positive instruction as you look at John 10 and verse 30, when Jesus concludes this first part of the discussion and says, I and the Father are one. So he's talking about that double keeping that is ours. But now he references, not, not that the Father and the Son are one person, but they are one in unity, one in purpose. Now for his Jewish listeners hearing this, they would immediately think of Deuteronomy 6.4, that, that Jewish Shema, that statement, the Lord our God is one. And we know they understand that because right after this, they jump to, you're blaspheming. You, 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 need, you should die because you're saying something here that you are God. So this statement is not just like a peripheral doctrine. It, it's something that is vital and will affect our spiritual health. One theologian put it this way. He said, the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints is both a gift and a task. And I think that's exactly correct. In other words, God called us. That's by grace. We're, we're saved by grace. But let's not forget that the assurance of our salvation is to be worked out in our lives in conjunction with our obedience to the Holy Spirit. So it is both a gift and a task. So how will that impact us? Well, one, it should bring assurance of salvation. I mean, to get that imagery in your thoughts, Jesus said, whoever does this, and if you go through the Gospel of John, you'll find repeated references to Jesus talking about abiding and, and whoever confesses me will have eternal life. Not, not that they might have it or they could get it, but they could lose it. But you have reminders and warnings that this is also a task, that this is a part of the outgrowing of our faith in Christ. In fact, in 1 John 5, you have as John, again, is writing later in his life, he says, I've written these things that you might know that you have eternal life. Now, that statement tells us right away, if anyone says to you, well, you know, you can't really know whether or not you're going to go to heaven. Or, you know, it's very vague. I hope I go there. First John 5 is saying, there is no lack of certainty. You can know if you know Jesus Christ. And you can be assured of your faith. Now, you might have times where you might wrestle with that. And I do think there are some Christians uh, are just prone to that. It's, it's kind of like maybe, in a sense, almost like the thorn in the flesh. It's there. God keeps it there for the purpose of keeping them kind of seeking him, uh, studying that. But, but for the majority of believers, we should have assurance of our faith. We, we should know these things are written that we might, no, not that we might guess. And this is one of the big distinctions of Christianity. Compare it to the two other major world religions, Judaism and Islam. Both of those, no assurance. You, you hope, uh, you hope you've done enough good things, but, but you just never know. You know, what a contrast. 
So this is vital to our spiritual health. But a second implication is that it promotes spiritual diligence when correctly understood. And I think that's where we often fail to define it correctly. You know, if we're thinking, well, if someone confesses this and they mean it, that they're in, they're all set, that's going to lead to spiritual complacency. That will lead to you just kind of coasting through. But again, go back and listen. Apostle John says this is what Jesus taught. Paul echoes that. Would, would any of us say that Paul and John seemed spiritually lethargic? That, that they were not actively growing in Christ? That they were not so quick to tell others about Jesus? We'd be like, no, that, that clearly defines who they were. Which would say to us, the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints should promote evangelism, should promote reading and studying the scriptures. It should compel us because of the certainty of our salvation to live up to what is ours in Christ Jesus. So it is a doctrine that is of great practical relevance. It is absolutely necessary. We can clearly define what, what does it mean to say that I believe I am assured of my salvation in Christ. And then how should that impact my spiritual health? Well, there are many different creeds, confessions that address the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints or the perseverance of grace. Uh, but one that I really like a lot is the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, so this is a, a statement of, of faith written back in the 16th century. Uh, and it's designed around 52 Sundays in a year. Uh, and you can read it however you want, but like reading the first reading gives you a question and then a response. And I think in the day and age in which we live, uh, where we see people wrestling with meaning in life, we see people wrestling with the question of, of death, assurance, all of those things. The Heidelberg Catechism begins with this question. What is your only comfort in life and in death? Uh, now think for a moment, that's a relevant question today. Consider in the 16th century, high mortality rates because of sickness and things like that. Like, like people lived with the reality of death every day. And this is the response. That I, with body and soul, both in life and in death, am not my own but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and delivered me from all the power of the devil and so preserves me that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Yes, that all things must work together for my salvation. Wherefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life makes me heartily willing and ready henceforth to live unto him. Notice how it ends with not, good, I'm safe, I can just sit back, but pursue Christ, grow in Christ, because you are certain of your salvation. Let's pray. Our gracious God, in a world where nothing is really certain, Thank you that we have our certainty in Christ Jesus. I pray that these words will be of the greatest comfort to us, 
that there would be at times of the greatest conviction to us, uh, Lord, that we would uh, pursue to work out our salvation in fear and trembling, knowing that it is God who works in us and through us by his Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.